Well, here's the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The problem with America is we have pursued this apart from the context, the Creator. And and instead of fulfilling what this document says, that it's a country of people working together, serving the Creator to prosper community, uh, we've become, we have become a nation. Maybe it's not seen so much in the joyful gospel partnership of this church, but I assure you, you can see it throughout the valley. We have become a nation of independent and lonely people. There's a book out written by a Harvard professor called Bowling Alone. Here are a few statistics. Playing cards. People used to play cards together. Bridge. I don't know what other games people would play. It's down 25%. Evening with neighbors. Down 33%. Family dinners. Down 33%. We're so independent and isolated and lonely, we don't cultivate true community, but we, 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 we try to seek it through activity. And we don't even sit down and have dinners anymore. In fact, we'll go through where there's a clown and get a burger and pass it out to the kids and keep moving. Having friends over is down 45%. Friendships are down from three to two. People used to have three good friends, now they have two. Over the 25 years, if that keeps going, we're not going to have any friends anymore. Because we're just going to be on the Internet. More of that in just a minute. What we end up with is man's best friend. Right? Right? Fido. Man's best friend. 25 years ago, there was not a magazine called Modern Dog. And now there are laws in the works that you can take dogs with you to the restaurant. You should have the right to bring them in and sit with you because they're your friend and you care for them. So before you check out of this sermon, I'm not opposed to dogs. I love dogs. We are in a state in this country where if we get a backyard sometime that's bigger than what we have now, I'd love to have a Siberian Husky. All my life I've wanted a Siberian Husky or an Alaskan Malumet. Dogs aren't our best friends. People should be our friends. Love dogs, not against dogs. But the readiness to make friends is down 33%. We expect everybody else to be the friend first. We want, to, we want friends, but we don't want to initiate friendships. And the same thing creeps into the church. And so before you can uh, have friends, you need to be a friend. But what, hap- what has happened in America is we have... Instead of seeking true friendships, we seek pseudo-communities uh, through talk, radio, reality TV, and the latest and greatest craze we create online friends at Facebook. Now, I am not a Luddite. I am not against technology. We use two videos today. Uh, I carry one of these. It's a blessed little instrument. Amen, Ben. So, I am not against technology. Not against it. it. Technology is a tool. It can communicate. But what I found out over just watching it, reading some articles over the past year, Facebook has not just become a tool. It's a great tool to post pictures and keep people up to date. But it's become a, abused as a tool for pseudo-community. That I saw video online a couple of weeks ago. So see, I'm, I'm using technology. 
that if you were to take the population of MySpace, it would be bigger than China or Russia. That there's this pseudo-community of people. And that we all want somebody to be our friend. I had, when I had my Facebook account, I had to live by my convictions. My wife still has one. So, again, there's balance in the family. It's good. I had, like, over 300 friends. Some people I've never held three extended conversations with. But I had, they were my friend, and they wanted me to be their friend so they could look into my life, I guess, and see what I was doing. So I am not anti-Facebook, not against dogs, but I am more against face-to-face relationships with humans. Humans, this is true community. And this is designed to happen in the local church. So let me bring this full circle. The Declaration of Independence, uh, as lofty as that is, the idea of that is, cannot be fulfilled apart from the Scriptures. And the book of Philippians helps us see how to live joyful gospel partnerships. And so last week we saw Paul um, in his... Greeting, it was loaded. And here you're going to see that his prayer is theologically loaded. And we're going to ask and answer the question, what is a joyful gospel partnership? You're going to see it in three sections. You're going to see a partnership. It's Paul's, this is the catalyst. His thanksgiving was their partnership. And then you're going to see affection. This is the compassion. You're going to see Paul's heart, the heart of a pastor, pour out. And then you're going to see glory, the culmination of his prayer. And just like the greeting was theologically packed, This one is full of good information, not only for the Philippians, but for us. And so if if you're there, Philippians 1, starting in verse 3, we're just going to chew through these nine verses. It's the Word of God, and it should satisfy our, our hunger and thirst for righteousness. And if the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, if the overflow of Paul's heart, you're going to see his hand right. He begins with this. After giving a greeting, he begins with, I thank my God. Paul thanks God for the Philippians because of their partnership with him. I thank my God. When does he do it? In all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer. That he thanks his God when they come to mind, and every time he remembers them, he thanks God for them. The next time God brings someone to mind... Might we pray for them? Over the past 10 days or so, for some reason, Andrew Kaiser just kept coming to mind. And instead of just taking Andrew Kaiser in, I should go, oh, thank you, Lord, for Andrew. Thank you for the friendships that are developing. By the way, he's in Australia, Lord, which you know. Uh, would you use him and Kristen? Kept bringing them to mind. People, God brings people to your mind all the time. The next time someone comes to your mind, thank God for them. And look what he he says. He says, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. The next time God brings someone to mind, pray for him or her with joy. Why? Why does Paul have joy when the Philippians come to mind? It's their commitment to him and the gospel. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. This idea of partnership. I love that word. 
because it, it used to be something we used to use the word and we'll still use the word if we know how to use it rightly fellowship but it's become weakened over the years it's kind of the cozy christian club um you go and you have watered down tea stiff coffee and mama's favorite casserole and you've had fellowship and that's not what fellowship is all about fellowship is more like companies true partnership fellowship something bigger than themselves companies coming together for mergers and acquisitions initial public offerings it's consultants and contractors coming together to build something you see it happening in vale it's would be like athletes like the nuggets coming together to sweep the mavericks there's something bigger there's something bigger than just tea and jam biblically Here's the biblical illustration. It's Jonathan covenanting with David. It's seen that Jonathan saw, God has anointed this man and I'm going to associate myself with him and I'm going to strip my armor. I'm the second. Jonathan was the second uh, to Saul, his daddy. And he stripped his armor, gave him a sword, and he said, I'm here to follow you. I'm, I'm coming under you for something bigger. It's Nehemiah in that great chapter of 3 of that book, and they were next to them, and they were next to them, and they were next to them, and He came after Him, and after them. Because they're rebuilding the wall to be a presence of God in that nation. And they were working together. It's like Jesus pouring into His disciples where Mark says in His Gospel, they, He was with them. Jesus was not in an ivory tower. Uh, dispensing truths. He walked with his men, talked with his men, slept with his men, ate with his men. That came out wrong. Let's back up. He walked with his men, talked with his men, he, he journeyed with his men, he ate with his men. The heart of true fellowship, says D.A. Carson, is a self-sacrificial community conformed to a shared vision. Self-sacrificial community conform to a shared vision. So what does this mean for Eagle Bible Church? It means true fellowship is being committed every day to a community engaged to something bigger than themselves. It is not just about coming every now and then. It is not just showing up consistently on Sundays and then going home. It is wholeheartedly, actively, purposefully, joyfully engaging in something bigger than any IPO, any hotel, or any NBA championship. So what is this shared vision? I mean, what, I mean, really, Judd, what do you want us to rally behind? Why, what, what is church and why rally behind something like that? It's about, notice, look at verse 5 again. Because your partnership in the gospel. There's your shared vision. The gospel. It's the most precious and powerful message that anyone should gather for. It is the good news of a holy God in the person of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit saving sinful men who trust in Him. A holy God in the, in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ, who lived a life that we could not live and died a death that we could not die, to save by the power of the Holy Spirit those sinful men and women who trust in Him. I want you to look at Romans 1. Another 
power-packed introduction because it just shows you, Romans 1, how God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit work together. By the way, the Trinity is the most powerful partnership that's ever existed. Paul says he's a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. What is this gospel of God concern? Concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh. He was human, and he was declared to be the son of God, deity, in power, according to the spirit of holiness, who was there at his resurrection from the dead. He's Jesus Christ, our Lord. And here's the results of that. Through whom we have received, not that we obtain, but we receive grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. And so right there is a beautiful picture of the gospel and its implications to the world. God is the, the architect. Jesus Christ is the builder. The Holy Spirit is the subcontractor, all working together in complete joy and complete harmony. In fact, I could go on and on about the joy of Jesus, for the joy set before Him, the joy of the Father. It pleased God to crush His Son. What? Yeah. Isaiah says that. Isaiah 53. It was God's pleasure. It was Jesus' pleasure. And you see the Holy Spirit working behind the scenes of this thing called the Gospel. And this, my friends, is the true message we should get behind which will bring true life, true liberty, and the true joy, true pursuit of happiness. Joy. Deep-seated joy. Because it's God the Creator who gives us eternal life. It is God the Father through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that gives us freedom. Freedom from sin. And and it's, it's this God, the Father, working with Jesus Christ, His Son, through the power of the Holy Spirit who shows us the way to true joy. Blessed is the man who doesn't walk this way. He walks this way, the right path. In thy presence is joy forever. This is the way of righteousness. That's the message. But what does it look like in practice? Well, I asked some people, how how have you seen this manifested at Eagle Bible Church? There's Josh and Heather Thompson who minister to... um, those folks in Edwards in Awanas. And Eric said to me last week he was humbled by the power of the Word and the love of God that's going out there. We've got Vacation Bible School coming up. We've helped with soup kitchens. Last week, informally, uh, Andrew's father came up to me. We were talking on partnership, and he goes, you know, that's happened even this week. I said, really? He said, yes, we didn't ask for it or anything, but people were willing to take the kids so my wife and I could have some time together. They, they were willing to give meals. That's gospel partnership. Living in the light of the cross, the gospel, we have the greatest, we, all of us in this room, have the greatest potential to proclaim and live out the truth so that lives are changed, marriages are strengthened or restored, children are developed into critical thinkers. They're not just indoctrinated with theology. They become biblical thinkers. People are freed from the bondage of sin, from alcoholism, from anger, from anxiety, from selfishness, to name a few. And that people are discipled in the ways of God, so we build leaders so that little by little, 
Not that we will make the world perfect, but it can be changed through us. Every single person in this room, you're not here by accident. You're not. God planned for your presence to be here today. So my plea with you is to partner with us in the gospel of God for his glory. So how does this happen? I mean, where, where does it all begin? Verse 6 tells us, Paul, Paul prays and thanks God for them all the time with joy because of their partnership. And then he says in verse 6, he is sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. They had partnered with him from the first day until now. And Paul is confident that God who began the good work would bring it to completion. Paul not only thanks God for the Philippians' partnership with him, Paul trusts God to complete God's work. Did you hear that? Paul trusts God to complete God's work. God was the one who was at work at Philippi. We saw last week in Acts 16. It was God who thwarted uh, Paul and Timothy from going where they wanted to go, and then Paul hears the Macedonian call and he comes over to Philippi. It was then that God opened the heart of Lydia to receive the words that Paul said. It was God who caused the earthquake that the jailer was getting ready to freak out, and Paul said, don't worry, we're all here. And it was the jailer then who said, what must I do to be saved? And Paul who said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It was God who began the work. It was God who was forming this church. And he says, God began that work and he'll finish it. What God starts, he will finish. Do you believe that? What God starts, he will finish. Back home when we used to drive up uh, I-35 to a little church, we would look off to the left. There was this huge mansion. Unfinished. I would sometimes say to my wife, might they let us have it? We would finish it. But it just sat there as an eyesore to society because some guy started a work that he couldn't finish. And you see it sometimes with buildings that are just left undone. Luke 14 warns us, don't, on the cost of discipleship, don't start something that, is, that you won't finish. But it's not so with God. What He initiates, He will sustain and He will finish. The question I want to ask all of us today is, do you think God has begun a good work in you? Or did you start it? Because if you think you started it, you are gravely mistaken. But God, who has begun a good work in you, I assure you, He will finish it. And that gives me comfort. He initiated the partnership between Paul and Philippi, and what we're going to see is He influences it through love. And so God is sovereign over Paul's relationship with Himself and God is sovereign over Paul's relationship with those in Philippi. Watch this. Verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you all. It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. God started the work, but Paul was so convinced of it, not only because he trusted in God's promise, but he saw God's hand moving through the responsibility of the Philippians. Put another way, the Philippians proved out what God was doing by their observable work. How do we see this 
going on at EBC? It's by the tangible love of the people. Amen? It's by the prayers of the people for things that are going on halfway around the world. It's by the food that's being brought. Hopefully it's all been done for the glory of God. More on that in a minute. But what Paul's saying here is, I know God's going to complete it because I see what you're doing. You've been with me. You're partakers of grace. You've joined with me. Literally, we're going to look at this at the end. What he's talking about is these Philippians had given out of their poverty in abundance to support Paul's ministry. It was tangible. You guys are giving to me. And I thank you. And he said, you're partakers of grace with me, both in the good times and the bad. It, you, you've heard the phrase, through thick and thin, thanks to Geoffrey Chaucer, who made that famous in the Canterbury Tales. It's through thick thickets and thin wood. And it got, he, he shrunk it to thick and thin. That somebody's with you through thick, the difficult times, and thin, the not so difficult times. And that's what Paul said. You're with me in my imprisonment when it's tough. And you were with me there when I was def- defending and confirming the gospel. And then in verse 8, he, he shows where this comes from. For God is my witness. It's a, it's a mild vow. How I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul loved the Philippians. And it was Paul's love, but this affection of Christ Jesus, this from, from the stomach, he yearned from them. It was not that he lived out the example of Christ's love. It was literally Christ's love in and through Paul. Did you catch that? It's not just an example of sacrificial love. It's Jesus loving the Philippians in and through Paul. So Paul loved the Philippians. It's 1 John 4, 19. We love, why? Because He first loved us. And it's Galatians 2, 20. I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And so in Paul, what was overflowing that he wrote down was, I love you. And it wasn't a gooey, soupy, American love. Let's just review here. Paul is thankful for what the Philippians had done in the past. Paul is showing the overflow of his heart, his hands right presently. Their love for him and his love for them based upon the foundation of the work of Jesus Christ. God began the work. Christ is loving people through him. That's when we pray, Lord, let them see the love of Christ in me. That's what we mean. And so God initiated it. Jesus is sustaining it through His love. And now Paul prays in 9-11 through that this love that he saw in the Philippians that they were responsible for, he didn't pray for it to stop. He didn't go, Lord, I thank You for the Philippians and their partnership with me. they, They were partakers of grace. That's it. Thanks. You know, have a good day. We'll see you later. Here in prison, you know, I'm just going to bide my time to the end. No, he's overflowing with joy. And look at his prayer. I, and it is my prayer that your, your love, so it's God working through them, but it's your love. And it's the love of this partnership in the Gospel. Here's what it doesn't say. And it's my prayer that your love just may stop and you rest on your past uh, actions 
and just thank God for that and you just go home and rest. He says, no, I pray that your love may abound more and more. He said to the Thessalonians, excel still more. To do so more and more. How? This is what he wanted to happen, the love to abound. But how? Through knowledge. The brain. There's no separation of a heart in love with Jesus and other people and a mind that's set on the Gospel. Did you hear that? Because often we, we, there's two sides. We say, no, we don't need the mind. It's just all your heart. The mind influences the heart. And sometimes it's just, let's just get the mind right. No, 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 if it doesn't seep down here, Paul said it just puffs up. I love this verse because, and I love in Colossians, it's almost the same, 1, 9, 10, and 11. It doesn't allow you to separate the love for people, love for God, from the knowledge of God and the knowledge of people. I pray that you, this is my prayer, that your love bound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So there's something you know in discernment that you would be able to choose what is best. Not just a good option. Um, I could choose this option or this option. or th- This is the best. This is better and this is okay. It's that discernment that makes me want to choose what is best all the time. And my friends, this is the biggest battle we face today. There are national decisions being made with little or no knowledge of what is truly right. And it's confusing to a country and it can creep into the church. That we can have on record two laws, one that says it is okay to kill babies in the womb. We, get, we have that, right? Yet, same law says if some of the mothers who are in this room today were to be killed, they, the person who killed them would be charged with what? Double murder. Is that confusing to you? Is that... It's a little bit confusing to me. This is the biggest battle we face. It's the biggest battle of the church. It's the biggest battle for Christian families. It is not a physical battle. It is a spiritual battle. It is not a behavioral battle. It's an intellectual battle. It's the false advertisements of culture versus the truth of Scripture. The truth of Scripture. And what you see in Scripture is when you understand the truth, there will be love and true love and, and love that is powerful is in accordance with the truth. And so as Paul asked as Paul prayed the, for the Philippians, I would ask you to pray that this would be a church that does not decrease the standard. There's the truth. But it would be so loving and warm and approachable, this is love. That that's the kind of church we'd be when people ask, Well, what do they stand for? Truth and love. Well how, that's weird. I thought truth was just Hard and cold and, and love was gooey and soupy. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, no. It's truth and love. Here's how one commentator said it. Christian love is founded on Christian truth. Truth, love. So that, so that we cannot increase our love by decreasing truth. Christian fellowship should be marked equally by truth and love. Our love... It grows soft if it isn't strengthened with truth. And our truth hard if it isn't softened with love. And the Scripture commands that we hold both of these. Truth, love. Your love may abound more and more in knowledge. Truth. 
the Scriptures. Not just any knowledge, the knowledge of the Scriptures. And that we should speak the truth in love. That's what you should pray for us. Why? Verse 10. So that we would be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. That this church would hold to truth and love. That we would be pure and blameless. That people would see our lives as holy and, and not perfect. That's not what it said. It didn't say perfect. It said pure and blameless. Well, what does that mean? That means that they are above reproach and they don't put themselves in compromising situations. And when they do sin, they own their sin quickly. And they take it to the cross. And they, they, when they need to make peace, they do so quickly. And there's humility that permeates the entire congregation. Why? Filled with the fruit of righteousness. Every single one of us in the, here in this room anticipates a fruitful harvest. Teachers anticipate a fruitful harvest at the end of the year with their students. Accountants anticipate a fruitful harvest at the end of an audit. Ranchers anticipate a fruitful harvest, not so much a harvest, but herd at the end of the season. Uh, what spouse in this room doesn't anticipate a fruitful, joyful marriage? What parent in this room doesn't anticipate the fruitful harvest of godly believing children? What child in this room doesn't anticipate the fruitful harvest of family fun night and parents who love on them? And what young adult in this room doesn't anticipate the fruitful harvest of hard work in the studies and on the practice field? So then, how much more we as a church should long for those things? Do we want to see this valley changed for Jesus? Do we want to see this valley longing to come to church? Not, not a, so much a, oh, I have to go to church, although there could be some things said about the ought to, but we want to see them long. Oh, I want to go to church. I can't wait to go to church. So we, we saw that it, Paul prayed that their love would abound more and more in all knowledge discernment so that they may be pure and blameless and they prove what is excellent. What should I choose? What is best in this situation? That's a gospel-centered mindset. Focus on the gospel. What is best in this situation? So that they would be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. There's this eschatological look. We're looking to the future. He who began a good work in you will complete it at the day of Jesus. That we're not living just in the present. We're not locked in the past. We're not just living in the present. We're not daydreaming about the future. We're learning from the past. We're looking to the future, and, and we're moving forward in today. Why? Why all of this? Why do this? Why, what, what does, Judd, what's the ultimate reason I should do this? The penultimate reason is that whole fruit of righteousness. The ultimate reason, if you follow the logic game, watch this. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with, with knowledge and all discernment. Why? so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless at the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Ultimate reason. To the praise and glory of God. Life is about God. Right? Can I get a hearty amen just from everybody? Life is not about the will of Judd. Although often he has to repent for what is Judd going to do today? What's the will of Judd? No, it is about the will of God. He existed in community, in a partnership,
forever, joyfully. He created the world not because He was lonely, but to spread that joy throughout the world. And the whole world is to function for His glory. Your affections, your dreams, you were all placed there by God. In fact, you can see God throughout this prayer. God is thanked. God has believed. It's not up there, but God has even vowed to and prayed to. And God is praised. Life is about God. Life is not about you and I. It really is. The bigger purpose, the gospel purpose, is everything we do, Paul said it like this, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. Meaning, the most mundane task in the world is just drinking. I need a drink of water. How do you do that to the glory of God? I'll just confess. I got a drink of water this morning and God didn't permeate that drink. That's not good. Because Judd wasn't thinking about God. Thank you. That I don't have to go to a... I'm not in a country where I have to walk miles just to get a drink of water. Thank you for some person who invented Brita so I don't have to drink all this mineral-laden water. Thank you for what water does to the thirst. And thank you that you would even put the Holy Spirit as an illustration to this. That's how you drink water to the glory of God. Just confess to you. I didn't do that this morning. Do we do everything to the glory of God? Just to review, last week, how do we cultivate this? It's in a local church of saints who serve by grace and with peace. And what is a joyful gospel partnership? It is a sacrificial commitment between Christian people whose supernatural affection for one another and joyful lives together bear fruit ultimately for the glory of God. So what is my challenge for us today? Partner with us. Not up there. How about that? Partner with us and pray for us. Join what we're doing. In a few weeks, I'm going, we're, we're meeting as elders and we're putting a priority list. These are the things we want to focus on that is reasonable for this size of a body. We want to think bigger, but we're going to act like who we are. And so we're going to put together a list. Join us. Not as a ought to, but a want to. Right now, if you're looking for something, well, where can I get your, your, you're preaching all this, partner with you, how can I do it? Right now, Vacation Bible School. That's what we got. And that's what we need. There's where you can partner with us. And then pray for us. Pray that we would be that church that abounds in, in love with knowledge and discernment. That we, would be the, that we would be a church. And it's not, we're not in comp- competition with any other church. We just want to be what the Bible says. So just pray that we would be a church of truth and love. Those key words. What, and joy. I like joy. I like, it. I like when, when Ben's singing. It, I hope that it, there's people singing and smiling. We love you, Lord Jesus. Ooh. That's not worship, is it? Oh, Jesus. Oh. What did we sing today? I'm trying to remember a song. These are the days of Elijah. You, you, kind of, you kind of want to bust out. You kind of want to do what that video did. Oh, oh. Sing. Smile. What, Judd, how, how can I smile when, when this is going on, when that is going on? It's because you know Jesus. 
and, and that going on and this going on, that's going to end. There's a day coming. It says at the day of Jesus, twice. He's coming back. How do you get through today? Obviously, you don't shirk your responsibilities if you've got those. But you, oh, Jesus is coming back. Yeah, I want to be a part of that. Oh, I can sing that. Oh, yes. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That's what happened. And so you smile. We Truth, love, joy for something bigger than themselves. We're not a, I don't, the last thing I want and the last thing the elders want is this little holy huddle. Well, they meet at the, the gym on the Brush Creek gym on Sundays and they just huddle around and they're not welcoming and they'll take anybody and don't stand for anything. No. no they, they stand for the truth, but man, they're a loving church. And there's this weird, I want them to say that, there's this weird joy. Because I knew one guy and he was facing this situation, but he was just joyful. And then you say, oh, when you say weird, you mean supernatural affection that comes from Jesus. I don't know if I would have said it like that, but yeah, yeah that's, that's good. That's what I long for. And it's not going to happen, partnership, apart from prayer. Father, we're not going to move until you move us. Lord, I know that Andrew wants this church to be And I know that Eric wants this church to be, and I know that I want this church to be. A church that has a joyful gospel partnership of committed members who love one another and love the world ultimately so that you're glorified. That as beautiful as these mountains and this land is here in this valley, that people would look to that and say, yes, but there's a God who created it, and you can learn about him at Eagle Bible Church. God, would, would, that is my prayer. That is the prayer of the elders. That is the prayer of the people that are in this church that are committed to this shared vision. Might you do that through us for your glory that this world might be filled with good. And we can't do it apart from Jesus. It's in his power, powerful and precious name that I pray. Amen.